Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back or welcome if you are new here to my podcast, Reading and Weeping. My name is Julia, and I am your host. And in this podcast, we talk about all things books, all things reading. So I am so glad that you are here today because this episode is going to be a good one. Now, I wanted to give myself a quick pat on the back before we start because I have officially hit my Goodreads goal of 2022. I have read 20 out of 20 books and I am so proud of myself because if you have listened to any of the past episodes, this is the first year that I've truly got back into reading. I don't think I've ever read 20 books in a year before, so I'm very, very proud of myself. And to those of you who have reached your Goodreads goal or who have come close to it in any way or who have just read anything at all this year, give yourself a pat on the back because it's really hard to do and you did it. And here's to a bright reading future in 2023. Now, today's episode is going to actually center on the last book that I read, the book that got me to my Goodreads reading goal of the year. And that is a mystery novel. I kind of wanted to do a bit of a deep dive into the mystery genre and talk about this book that I just read and give a full review on it. So without further ado, let's get into it. To me, there is nothing better than a mystery novel, especially like a murder mystery whodunit. You know, they can seem quite a bit formulaic from the outside, right? There's always that joke like, oh, the butler did it, right? But once you really get into the story and get into those sequence of events and you're looking for clues, it becomes this sort of jigsaw puzzle that you as the reader are trying to solve simultaneously with the main character trying to solve it or the detective like Nancy Drew or Sherlock Holmes. You know, you sort of become the person who's solving the case with them and it really immerses you into the story and it makes you really pay attention. If you don't pay attention, you are going to miss stuff so easily because it's very, they're very detail oriented, these mystery novels, when they're done correctly. I don't really have a bad example of a mystery novel to share with you because every mystery novel I read, I absolutely love. I eat that shit up all the time, all day long. I always get really into it and really detail-oriented reading pages over and over again to try and like see if there's any clues and then by the end I'm still always surprised the author always manages to trick me um and I'm fine with the formulaic storylines of like someone gets murdered and you go and you find clues and try and figure it out and then it was the person who was standing next to you the whole time I get it like I I love those you know but I have read a couple of mystery novels this year that have really kind of broken the mold of what a murder mystery novel typically looks like. A great example of this is one of the books that I mentioned in my Best and Worst Books of 2022 episode, and that is Wrong Place, Wrong Time by Gillian McAllister. This is a murder mystery, but it's not a question of who committed the crime. It's not a whodunit. She sees her son murder somebody within the first five pages of this book. 
But she is completely thrown by this. She thinks it's so out of character for him. He's such a good kid. So why would he possibly do something like this? What could possibly possess him to do something like this? Does she not know him at all? Like, how could this possibly have happened? So therein lies the premise of this book. She has to figure out what her son's motive was. Why did he do what he did? Why did he murder somebody in cold blood? And the way that the author kind of structures this story is instead of going forward in time, she wakes up the next day and it ends up being the day before the murder happened. She wakes up the next day and it's the day before that and the day before that and so on. So she's kind of stuck in this loop going back in time. And every day that she wakes up on has an important clue as to what led up to this murder taking place. So that's what I mean when I talk about like the unconventional nature of some of the murder mysteries that are coming out today, because this was a murder mystery that was combined with time travel, right? And not time travel in like a sci-fi way. I think that time travel was really used as a mechanism for these sequence of events. It was necessary um, in order for these events to take place because you're seeing the full picture, right? You're not seeing it from you know, her son's perspective, who's trying to hide everything from her. She's seeing everything as it is. And she has to come to these conclusions herself rather than listening to a bunch of different sides of a bunch of different stories. And don't get me wrong. I love the formula of a murder mystery. I think that it's absolutely fantastic. Just the basic formula as it is. Um, And I think a lot of people do like Glass Onion just came out in theaters and on Netflix, right? It is a classic whodunit murder mystery and people love it. It's so popular because it's done so well. And I think that that formula works and will continue to work till the end of time. But I think the way that certain authors are innovating these stories and adding different elements to them to sort of come to the same conclusion that all murder mysteries come to, I think it makes it a lot more interesting and a lot more fun. And I'm excited to read a lot more stories like that. One story that I read that really flipped it on its head again is the book that I actually just read as my 20th book of the year. And that is The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton. I think that's his last name. Now, was I a little skeptical to read this because of the similarities to the title, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo? Yes, because they're just too similar. I understand how like the rhyming between Seven and Evelyn happens, but to have both of their last names start with an H, it's just a little too similar for me. And I know that they both probably separately thought of those titles and they weren't copying each other, but... It just feels a little bit unoriginal, you know, but I can't think of two stories more different. So don't judge a book by its cover. You know how the old saying goes and just don't compare these two titles because they're so different. And I really thought that I knew what to expect from reading this. I knew that it was a murder mystery, not only because of the title, but also because of the synopsis on the back. So I'm going to read this to you now and I'm going to tell you why it's really not that great of a representation of this book. It's a good overview, but I don't think it represents it very well. So let me read it to you now. The Rules of Blackheath. 
Evelyn Hardcastle will be murdered at 11 p.m. There are eight days and eight witnesses for you to inhabit. We will only let you escape once you tell us the name of the killer. Understood? Then let's begin. At a masquerade ball thrown by her parents at their English country house, Evelyn Hardcastle will die. She will die every day until Aidan Bishop can identify who murdered her and stop the killer. At the beginning of each day, Aidan wakes up at the Blackheath house in the body of a different guest of the gala he attended the night before, and some of those guests are more helpful than others. The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle is a breathlessly inventive gothic mystery that follows one man's quest to find a killer within a mind-bending temporal loop where no one can be trusted and nothing is quite what it seems. So I do feel like that is a good overview of this book for sure, but this book takes so many different turns. I feel like you definitely needed to hear that synopsis in order to just start reading the book. Because when you start it, it's very confusing. You know, you're just as confused as the main character when he wakes up in Dr. Bell's body. And he doesn't really know what's going on. And you don't know what's going on either. You have no clue unless you were to read that synopsis, basically. And it gets really confusing really, really quickly. This book is about... 450 I think it's 458 pages exactly and um it's not the the font isn't too small I would say it's like a pretty decent size but it is single space like maybe 1.5 spacing not double spacing but 1.5 um so it can be kind of easy to kind of get through when you're just looking at it from that standpoint But there are so many little tiny details. I truly found myself rereading these pages over and over and over again to try and figure out where I was. I feel like this book is a good um, crossover between like Quantum Leap. If you don't know what that is, it's like where a guy like inhabits a bunch of different bodies of people and a Christopher Nolan movie and like a Black Mirror episode. Like it's very much so much going on all the time. So many little details that you have to follow and you have to pick up on. And the main character is kind of always like a few steps ahead of you. There's characters in the book that are a few steps ahead of him, but he's always a few steps ahead of you. He will, you know, say in certain parts of the book, I placed a book here yesterday and so that's why blah, 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 blah. And I know knew that it would be here. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. I thought you couldn't do that because it reset. And you're just kind of like confused because he's inhabiting all of these people at the same time. Like he's inhabiting eight different people at the same time, but you're only following one version of him that's moving throughout it. And he's getting clues from other versions of people that is himself. It's It's very very confusing the way that this works and he just has to figure out um who the murderer is he doesn't even know who he is himself like he doesn't know why he's there why he's trying to solve this murder he has no idea and you don't know either um but it's explained a little bit throughout um and you get these little nuggets of who he is and why he's there and why he's trying to solve the murder but it gets real confusing real fast. And I might be confusing you right now 
And honestly, I'm kind of confusing myself because this book is so dense and there's so much in it that you really have to keep an eye out for. Normally, I would say that books should be adapted into a miniseries. But I personally think that this book should be adapted into a video game, like a choose your own adventure video game or a choose your own adventure movie like Bandersnatch Black Mirror. That's what I mean when I say Black Mirror, like a choose your own adventure or like the White Bear episode. Anyway, I'm getting off track. I think that this should be like a video game because you can really choose a million different places to go there. This is not a linear storyline by any means. You're constantly like thinking what you as the character would do next. And then he does something completely different that totally catches you off guard. Another reason why I think this would be such a fantastic video game is because there's so many different characters that he has to encounter and he makes different decisions every day um, for who he talks to, depending on who he is embodying. And there's always a different outcome. So for example, there is the plague doctor who is throughout the story and he's the one who's kind of this like omnipotent character who like knows everything that's going to happen except the murder. He's the one who gives aid in the rules and saying you're going to wake up as somebody different every single day. By the eighth day, you need to figure out who killed Evelyn Hardcastle. And if you do that, then I you won't be stuck in this loop anymore and I'll set you free. If you don't know, then I'm just going to reset you and you're going to do this whole entire thing again until you figure it out. And he's sort of giving Aiden these like tips and tricks throughout the whole thing, like trying to guide him in the right direction. So I feel like if you're in a video game, you could say, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. And you see the plague doctor and you're like, I want him to give me more information. You go over to him and then he'll give you a clue or whatever on where it is that you need to go. Or with Anna, for example, she's another one who, you know, he's not sure who she is, if she's trying to help him or not. She get he gets different information about her throughout it. Like you can trust her, you can't trust her. So You can have the option to work with her on one of the days. You can have the option to not work with her. I feel like there's just so many different ways that it can go. And also because in the book, the plague doctor tells Aiden, you've been through this loop probably thousands upon thousands of times trying every single different scenario and none of them has worked for you because you're still in this loop. So I feel like there's truly an infinite number of possibilities that you could choose in order to try and solve Evelyn Hardcastle's death. I just think it would be a really great video game. I know I'm going on and on and on, but let me get back into the story and why it makes such a good murder mystery. What I think is so great about this story uh, that is actually completely different from Wrong Place, Wrong Time is that you're really not given much if any, prior information about the day before Evelyn Hardcastle is murdered or like the history. I mean, you get the history of why Evelyn's younger brother was killed, um, but you don't really get a ton of history with like a lot of her family or anything like that. You just kind of get what you're told about this day and you live the day over and over again through different characters and you get like a little tiny bit of background on each of them but it ends up not being super super important to solving the murder it does but it's not like you need this extensive background on everybody who is in the house 
in order to solve the murder. You need little bits and pieces and you have to figure out what it is that you need to focus on because there's already so much happening in front of you that you need to figure out um, that the little bits of information that are given to you about the past of these characters, they end up becoming very, very important and something that you do need to focus on um, and see how it informs the decisions of everybody else. So that is one layer to the story. But I think something else that is incredibly important is the setting itself, which is Blackheath. It's this manor that holds a lot of bad memories for the Hardcastle family and just for a lot of the families involved for the big party that's going to be thrown there on the day of Evelyn's murder. A lot of people don't have the greatest memories. You can kind of see how they're this rich family that is... um, all sort of involved together and entrenched with the memories of that place. And the way that the author kind of goes about creating this world that all of these characters are moving around in, you can just see how it affects them, how it affects them in real time in all of the different days that um, Aiden is inhabiting all of these different people. And you can see how it's affecting the characters that he's inhabiting as well. He's constantly having this battle with himself and the avatar that he's inhabiting. A great example of this is when he is inhabiting the body of Jonathan Derby, who is this character who is a total scumbag. He like sexually assaults every woman that he meets. He's like a pig, perverted, just absolutely disgusting and easily like the worst character that he inhabits. And he's like, I can feel myself like getting aroused when I'm talking to Anna and I'm trying to fight it because I don't think about her that way. But like Jonathan's thinking of her that way. And you can see these internal battles that he's having with not just this character, but with all of the characters. There's another one that he wakes up as named Lord Ravencourt. And he is this like rich, fat guy who's also been like pretty alone in his life. And Aiden wakes up in this body and he's like, I looked in the mirror and I started crying because I felt the shame that Lord Ravencourt feels about himself. And I think that adds an interesting layer to the story because you can kind of see the motivations behind these avatars and what it is that they do throughout the day that Aiden kind of tries to turn around and do differently. And there's also other things that he does where he's like, I don't want to do this, but I need to do it in order for the day to work out a certain way. And in order for me to see how it affects this character and this character. And it makes for a much more dynamic story because I feel like a lot of the time we're seeing these things just through one person's perspective and we have to try and decipher what the other characters are thinking if the other characters are lying and kind of how they're all involved but with this story and everything kind of being you're able to see it from one guy's perspective but also multiple different perspectives within that it makes for a very very interesting story that makes you want to keep reading now all of this stuff truly makes this book a really fun read. But there are a couple holes in this story that maybe I just didn't really catch because I was trying to get to the next thing so quickly or I didn't want to read the page over. I read 
so many of these pages over and over again, like four times, because I would look at the next page and it would say something and I'd be like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, did I miss that? Let me go back. And I would have to go back and read the pages over again. And I'd be like, no, that wasn't here. So how did we get to this point? You know, and I think that kind of goes where you suspend your disbelief of saying like, okay, Aiden, I guess, has a mind of his own and he's not telling us everything. But I really wish that he would, because there's a couple of different points in this story where he does stuff that you have no idea where it came from. It comes completely out of left field. You're focusing on one thing that you think is super, super important to the character, um, but it ends up not really mattering at all. And maybe that just comes with the book being so incredibly detailed, but I found it sometimes hard to follow in that way like you didn't really know which things it was that you needed to focus on there's like one main thread of events that you need to focus on but there's all of these little things that are kind of in your peripheral vision that you're like should I have caught that should I have caught that and sometimes you do and you get really excited about yourself when it does come back but um, a lot of the time there are things that you think you need to focus on when it's like nope you should have been focusing on that thing And in a way that makes the story really great and it kind of distracts you and catches you off guard when you end up finding out who truly killed Evelyn Hardcastle. Um, But it does make it confusing at times. I'm not going to lie. And I think that does happen a lot with murder mysteries, but it's not in a way where you feel like completely thrown off. It's where you're like, wait, I totally should have seen that. And you kind of, you you don't really feel that way. You're not like, oh, I should have seen that a mile away. There are things in there that happen that you're like, I never, I never could have known that. I never could have guessed that. So it could make you feel a little bit dumb at times. I did feel a little bit dumb at times reading this for sure. But once the end happened and it re- it is revealed who killed Evelyn Hardcastle, you're able to kind of take a step back and say like, oh, okay, I see how we got there. You don't feel dumb from that standpoint, from like a big picture standpoint, but like chapter to chapter, page to page, you miss stuff for sure. And it can make you feel like you're not following the story correctly. But as you get to the end, as you're nearing the end, it all comes together and all pieces together. And you do start to realize, okay, well, I'm glad that I focused on that. I'm glad that this was explained and I'm glad that it all summed it up at the end. And it, it, it is a satisfying murder mystery because you do find out who did it. And also the side plot of Aiden and Anna, which I'm not going to spoil, that ends up getting resolved and you feel this kind of internal conflict between the Aiden who is starting to remember everything about why he's truly in this loop and the Aiden that has spent so much time with Anna in the loop. You can kind of see their internal conflict coming to a resolve at the end as the murder is being solved as well. So it all kind of gets wrapped up in this really, really nice little bow at the end which I love. I don't love books that are like open-ended or anything like that. I've read a couple of like thrillers that can be a little open-ended in that way um, or have a sequel with them after that. But this one was wrapped up into a nice little bow, which I truly, 
truly appreciate from this author because it ended up just being this complete, complex, um, really, really good, just good, solid story. So I'm very, very happy with it. So that basically wraps up my overall review of this book. I did just finish it a couple days ago, so it's very, very fresh in my mind. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's my favorite murder mystery that I've ever read. I do like Wrong Place, Wrong Time a little bit better, but that one didn't have much of a resolve at the end like this one did. So that was something that, you know, I was kind of up in the air about. But I also really love like just the classic formulaic murder mystery, like I said earlier, like The Paris Apartment was one that I recently read that was just absolutely fantastic. I was completely shocked by the end. And in that one, you see the different perspectives of the characters, not because it's through one person, like seven, the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, um, but because it is told through the different perspectives of the family that is involved in this crime. And you get to see these different perspectives without it giving too much away, but you can see that they all have like some guilt and something to hide while they are revealing stuff to you. So I really love a murder mystery. I love mysteries as well. Um, I'm going to have to do an entire episode on the um, Inheritance Games series because that is like a mystery series, but it's not necessarily murder mystery. I love those as well. I think that they're very fun. And again, I love the feeling when you're reading that there's like this puzzle that you have to solve, this like riddle that you kind of have to put together. In the Inheritance Games, it is genuinely like riddles everywhere like that's the point of the book and I love that I love like feeling like there's something to decipher because it does take me away from the fact that I am reading something right that I am reading a 400 page book or a 300 page book I just feel like there's something that I need to get to the bottom of I don't think of it as I'm reading a story it, it's truly like the most pure form of escapism which I truly truly enjoy one tip that I do have, though, if you're somebody who is just getting into reading and you want to read a mystery novel, don't go into it blind. This book kind of made me feel like so confused at the beginning. I had no idea what was happening. I went back and I read the synopsis and I was like, OK, this makes a lot more sense now. I didn't feel like I had to go back and reread the first eight chapters Um I felt like I had a better understanding of what it was that was happening to this character and plot-wise what was going to happen to this character. Because once the Plague Doctor explains all of the rules to him, you know, then you start to be like, oh, that made a lot of sense. Was there stuff that I missed in there? I didn't feel like I needed to go back and, and reread all of that. Um, and also the good thing about this book in particular is that because the day is lived over and over and over again, some of the things that you may not understand about the character and what they're going through, you'll understand later in the book. So, you know, I think just trust the process and don't go into it blind when it comes to a mystery, especially a murder mystery, you know, and these unconventional ones. I really love how authors, again, are starting to get creative with the structure of a murder mystery. And I feel like that is an element that is just as interesting as solving the murder itself because it kind of becomes 
its own character in the story. When you think about time and how time passes in these novels, it can become its own character with its own layers and its own dimensions in the story. And I think that when the author manipulates that, it just makes it super fun to read. It, it makes it a lot more interesting and it keeps you engaged. So look for those. Seek those out because I promise you it'll be a very, very interesting ride. I'm never going to guarantee on this podcast that you will like a book. I just want you to read something that's going to keep you reading throughout. This book definitely did that. Wrong Place, Wrong Time definitely did that. So many mystery novels that I've, I've read have kept me reading. And my goal is to finish the book whether I like it or not, you know? So, and as well, I feel like a, a lot of my thoughts on this book are definitely going to evolve. I was going to record this the day that I finished this, but I didn't really have the time to kind of get together, like organize thoughts about it because I had so many different reactions in my head. So your thoughts are always going to keep evolving on the books that you read, which is so exciting. You know, I think that that is incredibly exciting. Um, but yeah, this is going to, I believe, conclude this episode here and also be the last episode of 2022. 2023 is going to be my first full year of doing this. And I'm just so excited for everything that I'm going to be discovering. I'm going to be reading a lot more mystery novels and reviewing them and probably comparing them to this book because this book was truly so incredibly interesting. But yeah, I wanted to thank everybody who has listened so far to all of my episodes or even just to this one or even just a single one of any of the others that I've posted. I truly, truly appreciate it. I had no idea how fun this would actually be just talking to myself and having people listen when I talk about books. It's it's truly just incredible. And um, I really appreciate you for listening. Um, and I am so excited for everything that 2023 is going to bring. So yeah, um, I do want to conclude by reading a quote from C.S. Lewis that I saw on Goodreads that I think perfectly encapsulates um, how I feel about reading and how I think everybody should feel about reading. And I think I'm going to read it at the end of every episode just to remind you to keep on going. The quote is, no book is really worth reading at the age of 10, which is not equally and often far more worth reading at the age of 50 and beyond. To me, there is no better quote that encapsulates why you should just read whatever the hell you want. Um, go out there. I promise you will not regret it. And I will see you in 2023. Thanks so much for listening again. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.